Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about the Mi'kmaq people and the Halibut First Nation. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Well, it seems the blows keep on coming for Halibut members and applicants. First, we had the appeals, then we had the rejection letters. Now we're getting the follow-up from the rejection letters. Notifications that the names of those losing their status will be removed from the Indian Register on August 31st. It's as if there's a freight train hurtling down the tracks and we're powerless to stop it. But when political options have failed, as they certainly have with the Halibut enrollment process, desperate people turn to the judges. And here we are in court again. This time, it's the Supreme Court of Newfoundland and Labrador, and it's the Hail Mary Pass of legal actions, an injunction application. Starting at 10 a.m. on June 18th, in courtroom number one at 309 Duckworth Street in downtown St. John's, the lawyer for Friends of Halibut will be asking the court to temporarily stop the finalization of the enrollment process. The lawyer standing up to speak to the court on behalf of Halibut members and applicants will be Keith Morgan. He's our guest on Mi'kmaq Matters this week. His argument is that the Federation of Newfoundland Indians slash Halibut had no power to enter into the notorious supplemental agreement. The original members of FNI ought to have had a chance to vote, just as they did on the agreement in principle. Instead, the supplemental agreement was passed by members of Halibut Council only, relying on a change in bylaws of the FNI to give them that power, but a change that never properly took place. Yes, it all sounds very legalistic, but that argument is all that stands in the way of 10,000 people losing their status on August 31st. Judge Gillian Butler has told lawyers for Friends of Halibut, FNI, and Canada She'll hand down her decision on the injunction request no later than June 25th, the date that the founding members list is to be officially amended. I spoke with Keith Morgan about what will happen in court on those three very crucial days. What we have is uh, ours is an injunction application that's before the court uh, where there's evidence uh, uh, been uh, tendered relative to the uh, the harm that will be done in the event that the injunction is not granted. Uh, so as a result, the uh, uh, the parties have the uh, have the right uh, to challenge the credibility of the deponents on the affidavits through cross examination. Right. And have you heard from Canada and the FNI that they will be cross-examining uh, your witnesses? Yes, that's correct. Uh, they have uh, expressed their intention to cross-examine uh, each of the applicants on the application. Uh, I'd also uh, add that uh, uh, that we will be cross-examining uh, the uh, uh, deponent for the Federation of Newfoundland Indians, uh, who is Mr. Brendan Shepard. Right, and uh, and who is the deponent for the um, who has uh, Canada put forward? 
Uh, Canada's uh, deponent is Mr. Keith Desjardins. Uh, we're still evaluating his affidavit. I've just received that. So uh, once I've uh, reviewed, completed that evaluation, then at that stage we'll decide as to whether we will be seeking to cross-examine him as well. Yes. We know how, how Mr. Barney Shepard fits into the story. How about Mr. Desjardins? How does he fit into the story? Mr. Desjardins, is, uh, he's a senior official with the Indian and Northern, Northern Affairs Canada, uh, and uh, uh, it would, uh, in his capacity, be uh, familiar with the uh, position of Canada in how they've addressed the, uh, the registration of the Halibut Band. Right. Okay, so that's uh, Canada and FNI, uh, one one witness for them. And who who uh, what witnesses uh, have given evidence uh, for for you for the applicant? That would be each of the uh, the applicants have provided affidavits as to how the uh, uh, the completion of the registration uh, process uh, would uh, ha would affect them uh, as members of the FNI when the original uh, agreements were uh, entered into. Right, and th those are the people who are named in the in the cause of action uh, in in the case. That's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, and what uh, I guess is a bit hard to say uh, in terms of uh, time. Uh, three days have been set aside. There'll be some opening uh, statements from counsel, um, I suppose, and then at the end, uh, closing argument with witnesses in between. The way that we've uh, organized with the court at this stage is that the evidence will go first from all parties, uh, and we anticipate that that will take that process will take between a day and a day and a half of the hearing time that has been scheduled uh, and set aside. Uh, the remaining time then would be for argument uh, by the parties in relation to uh, the issue of the jurisdiction of the Newfoundland Supreme Court as well as the, uh, uh, the availability of injunctive relief. Right. So uh, do I understand that Canada, FNI, and FNI are saying that uh, you should be in another court, not in Newfoundland court. You should be in federal court, say. No, that's not specifically what the issue is. The issue is whether the Newfoundland court has the uh, the jurisdiction or the ability to issue an injunction in these circumstances. And, uh, of course, in an injunction, as I understand it, you have to show that uh, uh, if the court doesn't uh, provide the injunction, there will be harm caused that won't that could not be corrected in the future with with uh, financial damages or in some other way so that's the that's the sort of test you have to meet i guess it's one of the threshold issues there's a there's a three part test that's associated with the uh, uh with the granting of an injunction uh and that would be that would be one of them but there's a, there are there, we have to show that there is a serious issue to be tried uh, and also to uh, uh, to convince the court that they that on the balance of convenience uh, it would be more harmful to the uh, uh, to the applicants that the injunction not be granted than it would be to the respondents that it it be granted. Right, and of course this is an injunction application. So the judge, uh, uh, if the judge does grant the injunction, that means that um, things stop, I guess, and then a case is a schedule where you argue the merits of the case. So it's a, it's the first step in um, in a process that would continue uh, if the uh, judge judge did grant the injunction. 
That's correct. What we're looking at is uh, is simply uh, uh, suspending the uh, the completion of the uh, of the terms of the agreement uh, pending a uh, uh, deliberation by the court over the uh, the legality of the uh, supplemental agreement. Right. And I understand that the court has uh, has uh, indicated that it will provide a decision on the injunction, whether it will grant the injunction uh, no later than June 25th, which is the uh, the day before um, Canada intends to uh, to finalize the uh, the founding members list. Yes, that's the uh, that's the understanding that we have from the uh, uh, from the justice that will be hearing the matter is that the decision will be provided uh, in advance of the uh, the 25th of June. Right. So uh, if the so I guess two things could happen: you could uh, be successful on the injunction uh, uh, request or not successful. So if you are successful, then the injunction is granted and and further days of uh, of uh, proceedings are scheduled to deal with the the merits of the case. Well, it uh, at that point the uh, the action itself uh, is not uh, has not been completed and certified for trial. So those processes would have to occur uh, prior to actually having dates set aside for the hearing of the matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that there would be a uh, uh, significant uh, process that would be involved leading up to uh, actually certification for trial and then uh, then the assignment of trial dates for the hearing of the uh, of the issues that are raised on the claim right and it sounds like that would be some uh, weeks or even months um from now uh, because it sounds like there is some uh, uh considerable process to go through between now and then Yes, I wouldn't anticipate that uh, uh, that a hearing of the action in the main would happen until the fall of uh, of this year at the earliest. Right. So then, and what happens if you um, if the you're not successful not successful on the injunction application request? Is that the end of the matter, or do things uh, continue anyway? In my view, uh, uh, the uh, whether the injunction request is granted or uh, refused, uh, the uh, uh, the considerations on an injunction are different than they would be on the merits of the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still feel confident in relation to the merits of the case uh, in going forward, regardless of what the position is of the court on an injunction. Uh, junk, injunctive relief is ex, is an extraordinary remedy, uh, so it's uh, it's not something that would uh, uh, would really be determinative of, of the merits of the action, and obviously a trial of the of the matter would be required for that. This is the uh, the third uh, uh, case uh, in the Halibut and Walnut matter. We've had uh, two uh, two cases in in federal court, and the federal court has rendered its decisions in those. Would you think there would be any reference of uh, the Newfoundland court to the federal court decisions, or are they separate and apart, um, considering the nature of your case? I think the court is certainly familiar with the uh, uh, with the decisions that have been reg- rendered by the federal court. Uh, there may be some uh, reference for for uh, 
persuasive effect in relation to the uh, the decisions or the considerations that have been made by the federal court. However, uh, the uh, the specific uh, uh, issues that arise in this particular case are separate and distinct uh, from those that would have been considered in the federal court. Uh, therefore, uh, I don't know that they will be uh, uh, particularly instructive for the court in its deliberations relative to the uh, the cases going forward. Right, because uh, as a the case you have is more about corporate governance and when the and whether the FNI uh, could enter into the supplemental agreement as a as a matter of uh, uh, corporate governance. So it's uh, it's a bit distinct from, I guess, the issues as they were pleaded in in the in the federal court. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, uh, the federal court never considered as to whether uh, the uh, F and I had uh, authority or due authority to uh, to enter into the uh, the agreements, in particular the supplemental agreement. Uh, we take no issue with respect to the original settlement agreement, uh, but the supplemental agreement is where the uh, uh, where the argument lies, and uh, uh, that is the uh, that is the issue for consideration by our court based upon our Corporations Act. Right. Hmm. Very good, Keith. Well, that's uh, that's very useful in setting the scene, and um, and thank you very much. Well, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, uh, as uh, I'm not sure whether your uh, uh, people would know, but this is a is an open public court, and uh, and obviously those that are uh, uh, that uh, wish to attend uh, would be uh, uh, the court is going to make every effort to accommodate any spectators that maybe wish to be there. Keith Morgan lawyer for our friends of Alibu and the six plaintiffs who will be cross-examined. They are Sean Bemois, Matthew Anderson, Marie Tap Melanson, Bobby Tap Guzni, Paul Bennett, and Jennifer Sularu. Mi'kmaq Manners will be on scene in St. John's for this very important court case June 18th to 20th. Look for our reports on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. And that's it for the show. Allison Baker is the technical producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Celebration time, use with the permission of Mi'kmaq artist Marcus Goss. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Listen to Mi'kmaq Matters on Bay of Islands Radio, on the voice of Bombay in Norris Point and Rocky Harbor, and in St. John's. Tune in on CHMR. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Till next time.